Welcome to the Embodiment Industry Leaders Podcast with your host, Asher Rubenstein. In this podcast, I chat with some of the most gifted embodiment practitioners and some of the most successful entrepreneurs in our industry. We explore the major challenges and the new opportunities to get ahead in healing, in growth, and in business. So sit back, relax, and listen in for some really powerful wisdom on how you can become a better coach, a better facilitator, and a more successful entrepreneur. Stacia, welcome to the Embodiment Industry Leaders podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm, I feel alive. And even as I say that, I feel a little bit of sadness there in a really just a softening, connective kind of sadness. Yeah. Walked on the beach, sun's shining. Yeah, I feel. Mm, sadness can be beautiful sometimes. Mm. I, I can understand that. I'm going to um, read out uh, your intro so people understand who you are, a little bit about who you mm. are, and then we'll we'll keep going. So Stacia is the co-founder of The Art of Relating and the co-creator of the Reclaiming Anger program. And she's a feelings and trauma-informed holistic counselor, a possibility management trainer, a shamanic practitioner who draws on her experience with somatic psychotherapy and parts work for an integrated approach to human relating and well-being. So welcome. That's a lot of big words. That's a lot of big words. I was just noticing how that lands when I hear it spoken. So I really, I want to set up like what your area of specialty is and help people really understand what your decades of experience live in so that it sets a context for the conversation that we're having. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, in your own words, who do you help and how do you help them? I often don't have words for these questions. <laughs> I um, I help people who are starting to recognise that feelings are part of being human and that perhaps there might be a more purposeful function for them in our lives than what we've been led to believe or what we've been shown more so. And I bring a particular focus to anger with how I work with that, but really our core feelings are all work as a team and support, give us energy and information. So I'm bringing awareness around how we can reduce the numbness bar, be receptive to the life that's flowing through in the flavour of feeling. And, you know, to answer that question in another way, I support people that are feeling disconnected with themselves that have a sense that there's more going on inside but can't quite access it have a sense that there's suppressed stuff but not quite sure what it is often I'm working with people that have depression or anxiety at some levels that are experiencing conflict within themselves or within their relationships so it's it's broad but it's continually coming back to the embodiment of being human and the the doorways and the gateways for me with that uh, through feeling and emotion. Yeah, that I think the, the lens of feeling and emotion is such a potent entry point into self-understanding. In my 20s, I did a lot of therapy and I studied NLP and I thought that I had the control box to my consciousness and that I could choose how I'm being in each moment. But there was this big gap in terms of understanding emotion and feeling and how to process and receive and be with. And then once I really deepened my journey and continue to deepen my journey into appreciating and understanding the role of feelings and emotion, it's like whole new worlds open up and there's there's a depth of wisdom and maturity that emerges. I'm quite excited to be unpacking your your framework around emotion and feeling and 
really understanding the nuances of that. I think one of the things that that really stands out for me when I hear you speak and hear you run workshops is is your understanding of emotions and feelings that has a depth that isn't quite there in in certain other modalities. Why don't we start out by laying just just laying a few of the foundations around what emotions and feelings are and and their roles. Like I'm I'm curious, for example, what's the difference between a feeling and an emotion? Well I wanted I want to just backtrack slightly. Some years ago now, probably 15, 12 thereabouts years ago, I noticed that the words feeling and emotion just get used interchangeably and started to become curious. Like why are we using these two words for what seems to be the same thing in how I'm noticing them being used. And so I started my own inquiry for a year or so on my own at first and then Gera got a bit involved in that at the end and I came up with this distinction that was something like emotions have got stories attached to them and feelings are just a bit more neutral. That's where I had sort of landed in myself and I was running a training back then so I was really, I really wanted to bring something to this conversation in this training which is where, where I got to at that point. And then I discovered some nuances and shifts and changes and started to notice, oh, yeah, there's the stuff I'm feeling that I can just let it wash through, that it's relative to what's happening right now. And then there's this big well of, like, icky stuff that sort of, like, explodes out or implodes in and it seems to have a whole lot of I'm not okay stories attached to it, which is what I was pooling into the emotional realm. And then when I discovered the work of possibility management, which originated in Germany and we started bringing that out here some four or five years ago now, there was a really clear distinction between feeling and emotion that validated sort of where I was at but brought a whole lot more clarity to it, which at the simple level is feelings are neutral energy and information that are constantly flowing through us because we're humans that feel and that come in different flavours of our core feelings and they come in response to the present moment. And so we're always feeling something in response to the present moment at reasonably low levels. But I would say most of us um, were probably taught more how to numb ourselves and push feelings down rather than listen to them at a subtle level and be able to navigate with that energy and information through, through an embodied experience. And so the difference between that being the present moment response to life is when we're not listening to those feelings and or we've started to create internal narratives at, at some kind of unconscious level that, oh, this, this kind of expression isn't okay or this kind of expression is too loud or this one's too disruptive or, or I get laughed at when I do that. So I'll just push them down, push them down, and then decades later we've got big charges of emotional energy, so that's what I'm referring to with emotion, of incomplete, unexpressed feeling. Mm. So energy that wants to move through and inform that gets pushed down and therefore we're creating less access to our physical body, to our sense of embodiment, and in some ways pushing ourselves more up into the mental realm trying to find the answer from the the knowledge base rather than the constant flow of knowing. Right. So what I'm hearing is, tell me if this is is what you're sure. saying. It's like that we're feeling our feelings all the time. That's just a yep. constant stream of, of, of neutral information. 
although sometimes maybe it doesn't quite feel so neutral. Um, And then uh, when a feeling is not able to be experienced or expressed because it's not safe or appropriate to do so in the moment, or it's not perceived to be safe or appropriate Mm -hmm. to do so in the moment, then it, it becomes contained and then it builds up and then it becomes an emotion. And then that emotion is expressed and the emotion is bigger or more kind of contact compacted than it was when it was just a feeling flowing through. Yeah. 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 And so sometimes we have these experiences where like we're using anger as an example, if someone starts to cross a boundary of some kind, instead of the feeling of anger doing its job to say, Hey, no, that's, that's close enough. Thanks. Or no, I don't want to hug right now. Just say no at some lower level. It, we might find that there's this massive eruption of rage that wants to come out that's way out of proportion seemingly to the thing that's happening right now because these little things that happen right now also act as doorways, little signals that, oh, there's there's emotional energy there that that's, that's actually about when I was four or when I was 14, that's actually not about what's happening right now. Mm. And maybe there's a thread of what's happening, what that's about what's happening right now, the feeling part. But because we've got a whole lot of stuff that's been pushed down for such a long time, it erupts in an explosive and sometimes violent reaction if it's anger or the freeze kind of fear responses or going into really deeper depressive states connected Mm -hmm. to sadness. Yeah. So then it's our, I guess, once I knew that, it gave me a whole lot of possibility to work with in a different way, this distinction gave me the possibility to be able to work with emotion and to be able to recognise that there's a, that there's this big charge of energy that can come into my present moment that I can often turn that into making that what's happening right now is really big and really important and I need to make a really big important decision because there's this big rage here and something must be really wrong. I need to make a really big decision rather than, hang on, is this emotional energy? Yep, it is. This is not all about what's happening right now. And then being able to communicate that, you know, acknowledging it first, communicating it. And then, you know, there's a bunch of different courses of action from there. If we're out and about in public, it might not be appropriate to go and release that energy that's there. And maybe that doesn't matter. (laughs) That's up to you, I guess. But being able to go and... To, to recognize, use the emotional energy as a signal that there's stuff here to work with. And it's my choice whether I push it back down and explode again later or whether I create safe, responsible spaces to move emotional energy. That piece around fear is a really interesting distinction to me that we explored at Bloom Festival. Because oh. most, as you've, you've mentioned, most people vilify fear or they shame fear oh. or you know, it's like fear is perceived to be the thing that is in the way of us achieving what we want. You, you've pointed out, correct, I, I might butcher this, but that our opposition to fear creates problems. And that if we embrace fear as an authentic member of the emotional community, mm. that actually we can receive a lot of good and a lot of a benefit out of fear. Sure. I'm, I'd love to hear you speak to like what what is fear and what is what is the gift of fear? 
I was working with someone recently who was talking about a situation that they were knew that they were going to step into that week and it was feeling comfortable and they were feeling afraid. And but they were talking about how they actually felt a lot better because they've been doing some embodiment work and they feel more connected to their resources and their um, possibility to navigate that situation. And then they said, Oh, I'm noticing fear, fears here. And they pointed to a place in their body. I'm noticing fears coming up in my body. And um, it's saying, You better get this right. And I want to get rid of that. And I said to them, what if that fear is there because it wants to really help you to get it right? And that if you just acknowledge it, can you send it down into your nervous system and just let it run through your body and let it be fluid in your nervous system and help you do the job that you need to do rather than it telling you this story that you might get it wrong? What if it's just there to help you get it right? And as I'm saying that, I I don't tend to like using words like wrong and right and good and bad because mm. they're all judgments but just for the sake of that that story and the, the words that came into it so there was a moment then where this person was able to just make a choice internally and make a shift and <clears throat> invite fear into the body and there was an aliveness that came about mm. when when fear is running through the nervous system in a functional way because there's functional fear and dysfunctional fear. That's how I would yeah. label them, name them. And there was just this moment of, oh, wow, I, have, I, I haven't ever felt that before. I can, I'm noticing that I feel fear and it actually feels useful. Yeah. I feel alive and I feel more alert to my surroundings. And that means that I'm more open to the information that's available in my surroundings so that I can be receptive to the next step in the unknown journey of life kind of thing. Um, that which, that bit, I don't want to gloss over that. That feels really significant, that um, fear is this um, energy that arises within us to perceive our environment. Yes. When there's the presence of risk. Yes. And it's actually an energy that can be harnessed and channeled, right? Like if if I'm afraid, that is energy that can be channeled into increased awareness. Yeah. Rather than something to be overcome. And because when I when I used that frame on interpreting my fear, it was like, oh, I am highly aware right now. I'm bringing in all this experience. I'm learning very quickly. And I had a lot of gratitude for it. Uh, and it actually elevated me. So I just, I found that to be a really exciting distinction. Yeah. Awesome. And this, you know, when you said I can, I, I can or want to, I'm not sure the words you used, see and hear and feel everything. It's not just with our eyes and our ears, but it's, the capacity when fear is alive through the whole body, a capacity to, to almost see with the eyes that are at the back of our heads or hear through the ears of ourselves and be receptive in ways that we've not been used to before. And, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I mean, I'm, there's still, you know, ways for me to go to and explore and uncover more of that for my own journey and I... Yeah, I'm excited about that. And there's also, you know, there's also the distinction again between feeling and emotion. You know, sometimes fear comes 
as emotional energy because we have an experience in relationship that reminds us of a really terrifying experience we had as a child and then all of a sudden there's fear there that's not about navigating this current present Mm -hmm. moment. It's also the same as, you know, what I was talking about with anger. It's like, oh, there's, there's a lot of fear here and there's a perception that danger is present in a way that if I look at my actual surroundings, that danger isn't present. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I need to then, you know, this is there's a bit of a trauma conversation that we're going into here as well. Like it doesn't mean that all of a sudden I need to, I should then be able to recognise the feeling and the emotion part and then go off and take responsibility for it and it'll all be okay. Mm. But it does, having that distinction between feeling and emotion just provides us with different information and signals to, oh, there's some stuff here to work with. Do I feel safe enough to work with it right now or do I need something else to regulate my system? And I can put that on the shelf and flag that there's some stuff there to work with. Well, let's let's backtrack a couple steps. Mm. So if if I recognize that I have feelings and emotions and that yeah. some of my fear is linked to the present and some of it is is born from the past, mm. when a fear arises, how does one distinguish between fear born from risk in the present and fear born from the past? It's it's sort of like Practice is one of the one of the basic answers to that question. Um, yeah. Sort of like I, I often say, in my trainings doing this work is like going to the gym for the first time and you're just practicing, and we don't build the muscle unless we are repeatedly bringing our attention to something. Fear, I find, still for myself, the trickiest of the core feelings to work with. It's the most mysterious. It's anger, super clear. Has, you know, that has a, the quality and gift of clarity, built, sort of built into it in a way. And, and 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 fear has, you know, the capacity to work with the unknown in built into it. But it also means that working with it isn't as clear to define. But what I would say um, in my own experience, if fear comes at a heightened level, it often stops me from being in contact with whatever I was in contact with before and that's often myself or somebody else or my environment. So that sense of like if emotional fear is there, it's either this really fast like fear vibrates, it's often this very fast pace like which tends to then spur us into flight energy or then there's the freeze which is the opposite, it's just the the paralysis. So there's a sense of I can't move or move way faster than what might actually be functional for me to be doing right now which is also a danger in and of itself and there's something about emotional energy in general that's it seems it's seemingly out of proportion to what's happening right now but particularly when we're in fear states it's really hard to discern that when we're in heightened emotional state it can be hard hard to discern that which is where doing emotional release work can reduce the emotional load and it can reduce the heightened states that we go to so that the charge reduces and reduces and then we've got more capacity to be able to discern and answer that question as in to have space to pause to pause and to still be present rather than to pause and be dissociated because fear the heightened fear can often go into dissociation states as well find what what's helpful is 
Like if I have a heightened fear response to as best as I can, given the, given the social context, like I can't mm. just, just go wild with fear everywhere, but like within of what's appropriate within the context to allow myself to actually feel it and be present to the feeling and bring a lens of curiosity or mm. witnessing. So I've got the fear and then I've got the witnessing and the curiosity about it with this kind of open-ended question of what's actually happening. You know, what, mm. what is my body telling me? Is it telling me something about the present or something about the past, you know, and just the, the remaining open and the being with and often dialogue, like talking mm. to someone or journaling or talking to myself starts to unravel the emotion and give it a deep, give myself an understanding of what's, you know, whether, whether this is trauma playing out in the present or whether this is an insight about the present or yeah. some combination of both. Yeah. And I, you know, what I heard in what you said is also slowing down so that the capacity to listen. And that can be the tricky part because the emotion, if it is an emotion, can often say, don't slow down. Yeah. You've got to deal with this quick, but then you don't actually understand what it's actually saying. Yeah. yeah. And it's there's a perception there that there is a lot of danger and the danger is often the massive amounts of fear that are running through the body that still have imprints of past experiences that were dangerous rather than mm. something that's happening outside of the body being dangerous. I was just going to say this is what I love about working with fear is that because it has this capacity to alert us to danger when it's in its functional capacity, it means that it's always steering us towards safety. Safety, I think, is an inside job, but aliveness, life flow, attuning us to, you know, keeping us in the, the flow of the riverbed, so to speak. What do you mean by that? I mean that there is this, it's the two-sided coin analogy, I guess, of there's there's a purpose to alert us to danger. And when we're alerted to danger, we can steer ourselves towards that which isn't danger. This is part of fear's capacity to attune us to our environment and help us take every step and put one step in front of the other and to not step off the edge of the cliff, but to skillfully walk along the edge of it and explore new territory that where we don't know what's going to happen, which appears to be dangerous to a part of us when we don't know what's going to happen. There's always an element of danger. There's always an element also of great joy and possibility. And that's the edge that I see fear helps us walk on, this continually tuning us into direction of aliveness. Yeah, it's when we when we are pursuing new goals and new challenges and stepping into the unknown, like a new business project, a new relationship, we're putting ourselves in territory that we haven't experienced before. And so there's there's potentially risks, unknown risks in the unknown. And then it's fear's job to awaken our awareness, to witness the risks and steer away from them and towards what is good in the unknown. Yeah. So very, very respecting and honoring definition of what fear is and what it does for us. It's very dignified. Yeah, I I love it. And I've I've had super cool experiments working with fear. I remember a night seeing my porch when I was living down in Melbourne and it was just about new moon. It was really dark outside and I just remembered, perhaps it was fear that alerted me, that the rubbish bins needed to go out. And it was a bit of a walk around 
the house and down the driveway. We live on property, so there's a dirt road. And I decided that I was going to go put the rubbish out with my eyes closed and let fear guide me. And, you know, I just went really slowly. I intentionally invited more fear into my system. I could sort of feel myself buzzing with excitement, in a way, a bit of fear, a bit of joy. And um, and it worked. But there's some, yeah, there's cool experiments we can have really inviting fear in. And I think that, you know, what you said before around pausing and coming into dialogue with it or just turning our attention towards fear, even if it's emotional fear, particularly if it's emotional fear, turning our attention towards it rather than using anger in an unhealthy way internally to set a boundary to it and say no and cut it off. I went, I'm going to tell a story that's totally relevant but may not seem relevant for a couple of minutes. Sure. Um, Last night I went to a men's circle and at the men's circle there were like 12 people, four of whom were facilitators and the rest were coaches. And there was a very strong NLP culture in that group. And so it was really interesting to witness how they had a very strong focus on language and the empowered use of empowering language but they weren't very focused on anyone's emotional state. Mm. So a guy would speak and share his experience. And then one of the facilitators would point out, Hey, you haven't used this empowering language. You're using disempowering language. And the guy would respond like, Oh, thank you. Thank you for your correction. But the, the guy was kind of experiencing shame or smallness or contraction for his kind of failing. Mm. And there was like, uh, just like kind of policing language and a lack of attunement to the emotional narrative that was weaving out between these people. And it reminded me at at the start of my entrepreneurial journey, it was very hard for me to take action. And I noticed myself procrastinating and getting caught in planning and, and not actually moving forward. And I found NLP and they would say things like, happiness is a choice. Proactivity is a choice. Like if you're doing fear, that's your choice. You need to stop choosing procrastination, stop choosing fear and go out and take action. And that was helpful. It got me to a certain level. Like I think I broke through to like $60,000 a year in income from like 20 or 30. But I, I kept hitting this brick wall of like progress and uh, my my thoughts were very rigidly controlled, and my I wasn't drawing a much emotional attention attention to my emotional state. And then I started doing the embodiment work and the catharsis, like big emotional expressions, and understand the essence of what you want to create, and then embody it, and feel it, and live it, and breathe it, and manifest it. And I suddenly had all this emotional energy took me to another level. My clients started seeing better results. My marketing was improving. I just had more energy and more drive and more willingness to take risks. I believe an overriding of fear that was happening. So it was like, oh, you're afraid? Embody the essence deeper, get more into the passion, get believe, believe, just do it. (laughs) And it was like this manic intensity overriding emotion. And I got to a point where I was making 250K revenue per year, but I was working so hard and pushing so hard that I was exhausting myself. 
And my life was pretty out of balance. Like I was very much in the unknown. I was very much trying new things, but I wasn't attuning myself to the emotional burnout that was occurring. And so now I actually hold a lot more reverence for fear and restraint. I feel like I'm learning this lesson of restraint and hearing those those more timid, fearful parts and and really respecting that they have a good purpose like if i don't if i want to not burn out and create a sustainable business career i actually need to have the break as well as the accelerator and and in that men's circle i could just see when guys were putting their foot on the brake it was just like nah like you 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 know fear is your weakness fear is your vulnerability don't do fear it's holding mm. you back. Whereas when we can really integrate fear, there's this well of uh, wisdom that emerges that enables a sustainable journey. Yeah, absolutely. Saw your quote on Facebook this morning or yesterday about this, you know, the, the disempowering mantras kind of thing. And I, yeah, I, I totally feel this in what you're saying, I guess, this this need for balance in a way. I think it can be valuable to bring in new narratives and try them on, but not at the expense of, you know, not just from the head and at the expense of not listening to what we're feeling or the fears that are arising and at the same time noticing when those fears are there without letting them get into the driver's seat as well, like particularly the the sort of the older emotional stuff still being, oh, yeah, I noticed that you're there. I'm going to pay attention to you. I'm going to work with you and... I'm an adult and I'm also going to hold you tenderly and give you the care that you need and I'm going to go out and do this thing in the world right now as well as not trying to push it all out in the one go with a big cathartic birth, so to speak. You know, I think there's a lot of stories out there that we we just go into a big process and we can get it all out and we'll be okay. Well, that there's an interesting question there like, you know, is the releasing of stored emotion, does that ever end? Like. If you if I did a year of daily anger release and clear, could I theoretically or 10 years theoretically clear out all the anger that's stored in my system? Or is that just gonna be a forever thing like brushing your teeth? I don't Cause know. Because I, I and the reason why I asked <laughs> that is because <laughs> I routinely see people saying, Oh, I thought I'd done the work. You know, I yeah. thought I'd done the therapy, I thought I'd processed this. And then three years later, they're like, Oh no, I hadn't actually processed it i'm going back in i thought it was done but it's not Mm. and i'm wondering if we have this like false illusion of completeness when it comes to the processing of emotion i guess i would say yes i think we do and i don't know because i don't feel like all mine's gone and but i think this story of oh i thought i'd done it i thought i'd finished with that to me speaks a little bit about I used the tools for what I thought they were for and then I put them down rather than these are life tools that we just need to integrate into our lives. And I see that with with workshops and I, I used to do this myself. I'd go to a workshop and have a big process and think it was all done and, and actually didn't realise that I used that those particular tools in a more intensive way in that workshop and it's up to me now to continue to use them consistently throughout or when I need them maybe it's not even consistently and I guess that you know there's a part of me that wants to believe that we can get to the end that that I can do enough you know 
committed practice with my internal anger that used to explode. I mean, my anger used to explode out in much bigger ways than it, than it does these days, and I've certainly put that down to the work that I do and, and continue to do. And I don't know if there's, the, if there's an end of the bucket. I mean, there's a, there's a part of me from my framework that thinks yes, and the only way that there can ever be an end to that emotional bucket is if if I can get myself to a place where I am letting all of the feeling and therefore energy and information that's available to me flow through me all of the time. And in a dysfunctional world that, I mean, it's functional in many ways, I'm talking about the dysfunctions of the world that don't reflect really many examples of responsible use of feeling and the responsible acknowledgement and processing of emotion it's quite difficult, I think, for people to step out into the world and to not suppress something. It would be, if we didn't do that, we would be relating in a completely different way. And I don't know that we'd be able to, I don't know that nine to five jobs and nuclear families and the structures that we're currently living within would be possible if we lived that way. You know, in that context, it's cultural. That's our internal cultures that we've created for ourselves. It's you know, this, the societal cultures that we live within. I think emotional hygiene is just as important as, you know, as you said, brushing your teeth as physical hygiene. And even if we just started to bring attention to an awareness of feelings and emotions and generated some hygiene practices that worked for us, it would be so much different world to live in if everyone was doing that. Emotional hygiene. Yeah. yeah. I guess we can create little cultures in our partnerships, in our friendships, in our relationship circles where emotional hygiene is the norm and we can create little bubbles of sanity making, sane making. Yeah. I mean, that's what I appreciated about what you created with Bloom and Emergence Festivals, that at least for me it felt like there was a different kind of permission to show up and do life together. And this is, it's also what I love about the possibility management community, which predominantly is in Europe and America and it's growing here in Australia, that it's all about, in, you know, embodied feelings, incarnating, coming fully in and feeling what's there and recognising the, the breadth of emotional um, and energetic wisdom that's available to us beyond what we're taught in our schooling systems. Emotional yeah. and energetic wisdom, like, like, when like the fear use the example of fear, what are some of the other emotional wisdoms that aren't taught at school? I'm just noticing that I, I've I've been using this phrase emotional wisdom for a while and it, it's sort of if I want to be really accurate, it would be more feeling wisdom. Yeah. Um, but there is wisdom in emotion as well. And there's some there's something about it, you know, rolls off the tongue better. Yeah, other kinds of wisdom, you know, if you, when you speak about other kinds of wisdom other than fear, for me, are the core feelings that what I work with is anger, sadness, fear and joy. Yeah. If you Googled core feelings, you'll sometimes see disgust, you'll sometimes see shame. I think there's a Pixar movie that's got a disgust character that's in there as well that, you know, works with feelings. There's those shame and disgust have have more of a, non-neutral flavor to them where to me feelings of this like anger has a a neutrality to it even though it has purpose and it has a different flavor 
it's this strength, there's clarity, there's purpose, there's direction, there's space holding wisdom that comes with anger in its pure neutral form. It, it's just something that I feel in my body and I think it's there's, there's something about really allowing yourself to feel like, oh, what, is, what, what does my body do when I feel disgust? There's like this, there's anger in there, but there's also a bit of perhaps a bit of fear in there about this thing that I don't like and I don't know what it is and I'm disgusted about. So there's these mixed emotions and I would mm-hmm. call disgust and shame mixed emotions that what happens when they start pushing stuff down. And, and sadness is something that I'm, I've really been enjoying lately in the context of the wisdom of sadness and the, the gift. And you, you spoke about beauty, I think, before when you were talking about sadness. There's this, this real medicine of connection that comes with sadness for me that more commonly associate when we're grieving, when we're letting go, when there's loss of connection. Then there's this, yeah, the sadness of letting go and saying goodbye. But there's also this flavour of sadness that comes when we let back in that which we've become disconnected from in big parts that can be parts of ourselves but also coming back into connection with someone that we haven't seen for many years that's important. There's there's still this flavour of sadness to it that just feels so beautiful and softening and opening and releasing. I've been enjoying particularly um, with Gero having left 12 months ago now and really mm. diving quite deep into grieving and at the same time with him, so grieving the loss of him and at the same time with him gone and with him not part of um, co-running this business with me any longer, I'm also reconnecting to parts of myself that he was sort of holding space for, so to speak. And there's been a real beauty in that and there's been a lot of sadness that's come through in that reconnection journey with myself as well and the capacity to soften this, this something softening and expanding and still about sadness where anger's got more of a, a direction and a force and a strength to it. Yeah. And they work really well together. In fact, fear, anger and sadness all work really beautifully together and and sort of can't exist functionally or in a healthy way without each other. Yeah, I love that. I was mm. really touching. Yeah, I'm I'm experiencing a lot of some sadness at the current time. I feel like I've become bringing an end to a way of doing business, a very aspirational, ambitious, gonna do this all the things kind of way. And like I, I just see how it was too much yang and not enough yin. And there's wow. a real strong sense in me, as I was saying, it's that restraint piece. And there's a, gr- a grieving of the the easy flow of creation, an easy but driven flow of creation. And I'm grateful for the sadness because it tells me that I'm letting go. It, it shows me that I'm not holding on anymore mm-hmm. to something that no longer fits. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it shows that cycle of... Um, like we create something and it's good for a time and then it's not what's needed and we might keep holding on to it for a bit, but eventually we let it go and we create, and then in that space, something new can emerge. And, and to me, sadness very much is that, that winter 
or the shedding or the letting go or the grieving, which then I know, I know it's going to create space for something new. So there's a beauty that I'm really appreciating to sadness. Yeah, and at, at a real micro level, sadness just helps us to take our next step because every yes that we say towards something, even if it's yes, I'm hungry, I'm walking towards the kitchen, I'm, or, or yes, I'm going to leave the country and go live somewhere else, like whatever it is, we're, we're also saying no every time we say yes. Yeah. So whenever I say no to something, I'm letting go of it. And if sadness can be available just on, you know, this drip, drip feed on tap flow of like, yeah, I'm letting go right now and I'm letting go right now and I'm letting go right now. I'm sure other bodies of work would, would frame that differently and I, I love seeing and inviting sadness in for that purpose, like seeing sadness as this beautiful, soft energy that supports me to not be rigid in my holding on, even though I still can do that, and, and just keep letting go and therefore staying connected to now so it also serves to stay present. Yeah. And it supports us to stay soft in the when we're using anger to penetrate space or deliver a message. Uh, it's just it can land in a way that stays that, that keeps connection, that maintains connection. Yeah. Because there's an awareness of loss. There's an yeah. awareness of loss which enables empathy for the person or the people who are around and for ourselves. Like when we're, when we're using anger and we're penetrating and creating and forging a specific path ahead, the things that we lose along the way or let go of or sacrifice that there's an awareness of that that comes through sadness, which Mm. stops us from becoming um, tunnel visioned. What am I constantly letting go of and becoming disconnected from? And what am I current constantly moving towards and coming into connection with? Beautiful. There's something very beautiful for me about having these conversations because it's so clear that having a healthy relationship with emotions is so needed and so not valued enough in the mainstream education. It's exciting. Mm. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to segue into entrepreneurialism and, and running small teams One of the things that I love about working in small business and in this industry, which is full of small businesses, is that we can hire staff, create teams, and create our own cultural experiments. I've worked in corporate and big corporations, and the the culture is often sanitized, depersonalized, no expression of emotion, huge priority on politeness uh, and conformity and hierarchy just to keep things running smoothly and minimize chaos. But the cost of that is that there's a loss of passion, a loss of joy. There's a lot of deep truth that gets unspoken. And so dysfunctions are perpetuated. Whereas in small businesses, like one, two, three people, four people, five people, there's more space and flexibility for things to be felt and expressed. And for a little bit more like of the unexpected to emerge. And it's also a space where we create our own cultures when we're hiring staff. So um, like for me, when I hire staff, I'm screening for attitude. Like I'm looking for people who 
um, can are comfortable experiencing emotion, are comfortable expressing their truths, um, are open to having direct, open, honest conversations about how they're feeling, but also taking personal responsibility for their emotions and not getting so swept up that they're going to, you know, derail things or, or not have a particularly objective view. Yeah. I'm curious about how the work with emotions, like how it plays out in business leadership and like how you use that in the teams that you're in. I'm going to start by saying that, you know, like I also spent 10, 15 years in the corporate world before jumping ship to the nonprofit sector and then off onto my own journey. And it felt like I needed to abandon myself every time I went to work. And I had a couple of cool bosses in there, here and there, that allowed a bit more real expression into the space. So, you know, from that place, what I want to create in teams is spaces and in the work that I do is, is spaces where people don't need to abandon themselves. And even though that permission can be there, there's such inherent programming that we have to do that anyway. It just, it just happens without us realising it's happening. So I'm, you know, I'm sort of a one-woman show at the moment within the art of relating and I've had people work with me here and there over the time and I'm currently starting to work with people again and building a team around the next Reclaiming Anger training that's coming up in Melbourne. And, yeah, it just there's little things that just feel really essential for me, like bef- you know, having check-ins around where where everyone's at right now before we jump into the sort of practical logistical stuff or the, the bigger meat of the conversation that needs to happen in order to work with what's present. So it's not to dismiss anything that needs to come up to check in is there anything that's up for someone right now that is going to prevent you from being as present as possible, as present as you need to be to, to take in information. Like if, if someone's sitting there and they're tremoring on the inside and try to hold it in, there's, there's really no desire for me and no, no, no point to want to go into loading more in. And mm. there's also, you know, as I'm sure you know, there's the balance of and I don't mm. want to go into a big emotional process when there's stuff that I need to do with the rest of the people. So you know, acknowledging these things, seeing what's needed, tending to at a certain level, sort of like a you know, titration process, I guess. I mean, that's the key for me. It's it's really just continuing to check in what's going on right now and noticing like, there's something about noticing the physical form as well, which you know, these sort of Zoom and online spaces that we're finding ourselves more in these days doesn't lend itself to as much for me how I particularly like to do that um, and there's, it also means a lot more is possible and things can spread further so you know there's pros and cons isn't there to everything mm. but in the teamwork environment just inviting people to do a scan of their bodies and is there is anything screaming right now or if I'm with people I might <clears throat> notice something going on and just asking asking questions what are you noticing? What's going on in your body? Does anyone need anything? In the context of being able to be centred with what you're feeling rather than 
present at the expense of what you're feeling. I find the most thriving teams have a strong task focus and a strong feeling focus. Mm. They're very clear about what the quarterly goals are, what the monthly goals are, what everyone's roles are, how that all works. And there's a listening to the wisdom beyond the structure and the wisdom beyond the agenda. And that comes from the feeling body. Um, I was, I was working in an organization. It was like eight people last year. It was a turnover of like, I think five or 600,000 a year. And there was this kind of underlying awareness among all of us that no one was going to admit that the marketing approach and the product we were launching was like kind of doomed for failure. <laughs> and that, and, and that, the, that the founder, his optimism was the one thing that was carrying the ship, but people didn't really trust it. And we were very task focused. We were very like, okay, this is the quarterly goal. This is everyone's tasks. And we were just checking task completion and there was right. no, there's no container for emotional expression. And it was a, hellish quarter it was like so stressful and people were bickering it's like the the organism was breaking apart at the seams and we had our quarterly review and all of this feedback emerged that like um the direction was wrong and that no one was listening and we decided to have at the start of every meeting a 15 minute space where anyone could express anything and it didn't need to be on the agenda and it didn't need to make sense and it didn't need to be logical and it could just be a feeling as long as it was relevant to the organization or the person's relationship to the organization. And that permission space to express feeling was super powerful. It um, People brought up all sorts of things that weren't like on the agenda. It's like the superego of the organization, um, there was an outlet where people could express things that weren't productive. And there was a lot of creativity mm. that emerged and a lot of potholes that we avoided. And the whole organization transformed within six months um, quite significantly. And it was because we opened up that channel of expression. I love stories like that. There's so much creativity that can come from what, from the seemingly the unknown, which, and I think in the business world, the embodied emotional wisdom seems really scary. Yeah. Like, oh, we might go off track. You know, we can't bring emotions into the workplace. It's going to hamper our productivity and the product productivity is all about doing. And, you know, I think that's breaking down a lot these days anyway, which is great. And yeah, I think there's so much more wisdom and so many more possibilities and so much more creativity when we delve down into the the unknown. I'm I'm curious, Stacia, what what do you say? What do you think are the big challenges for embodiment coaches and facilitators right now? Well, there's a couple of things. One thing, this is more looking through my specific lens. One thing I see as a yeah, I'm gonna go. Oh, I guess I call it a challenge. As a challenge with working with. Uh, let me start again. There's a there's a lot of spaces that I notice that invite um, catharsis, for example, going into the body, tapping into big energy and letting it move through. And one of my concerns that I see as a problem in that is the potential for re-traumatising in that when we try and bring it all, like just 
these invitations to bring it all through, bring it all through, keep going, keep going, that we're bringing through lots of emotional anger and sadness and fear and joy because we can shove that down just as easily as the other things. And it's all trying to come through at once and often through the the one channel, so to speak. And the more I'm working with people in an embodied way and inviting people to work with each of the emotional flavours separately as much as possible, I can see how the body responds differently. Trying to bring anger and fear through at the same time, I think is dangerous. And Why is that? What What's the danger? Like when you say re-traumatise, what, what does that actually um, mean? What it means to me is trying to give voice to two different things at the same time and one dampening down the other, one shutting off the other, one confusing the other. So if we're working with anger, for example, if there's a big charge of energy coming through and there's there's obviously some anger there and then fear starts to come, fear, the fear often comes because of the bigness of the anger and then it starts, there's this like energy that's wanting to go like this and come mm. out and then there's this like contracting that's happening as well. So the space that's trying to come through is actually constrained rather than free. This is not stuff that we can just bring to awareness to and then shift straight away. It's there's the subtleties and, again, it's like exercising the muscles. I guess the simple thing I wanted to say in response to your question is that I think, I think, and I don't know, you know, this is just for my own experimenting and my, mm. own, my own work is that one of the problems with embodiment in the context of catharsis is that we're trying to push too much through too quick, too fast. That's the essence of it. And what, like, what when you say that, like, too many things at the same time and they're getting stuck, what is the actual consequence? Does it create more emotional dysfunction? Does it embed emotions deeper? Like, what? what's the effect? Um, I, so just with the example that I was working with before with fear and anger coming through together, if there's a lot of anger that is trying to come through and fear is trying to shut it down rather than keep us alert and safe, then we're creating bigger emotional charges of fear. We're doing damage potentially. Like there's something that I work with in my my anger trainings around the vocal cords because a lot of people ask about how can I not damage my voice if if I'm allowed to and allow myself to bring big energy through. When there's a lot of fear there, that creates restriction there and it can do damage to the body physically as well. It can create strain in the body, which then generates fear because there's danger, which then if we don't switch and work with the fear that's coming, then we're just bringing more emotional charge into the system rather than doing what we're trying to do by allowing stuff to move through. Right, so you finish the exercise and you've got more emotion stored than when you started or more of some emotions, yeah. Potentially, yeah. Yeah, and you're giving, you're you're feeding your body with sort of muddy water in a way Mm. rather than like... And some of this is the, the way that we do this is really about intention and also some guidance from people that have done it before, I guess, and done it in different ways. So bringing anger through, letting it strengthen the bones, noticing that there's fear there, allowing fear to move into the nervous system. So having like making distinctions around, oh, yeah, there's anger here and there's fear here. Let's just take a pause. Which one's stronger? 
okay, I'm going to work with the fear now because that's actually what's stronger right now. I'm going to allow, allow a wave of fear to move through. And, oh, here comes some anger again. Now I'm going to allow a wave of anger to move through. And even just by intending and choosing that, something different becomes possible and it doesn't automatically mean that they're just going to separate. They've been in, they've been stuffing in for a really long time. Okay. How does that land? That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, there Um, are a lot of, like I see some organizations doing a lot of catharsis, like super intense catharsis, like killing your parents kind of exercises. And I can see how you can be, I've been so discombobulated and disoriented after such big pushes and it can take weeks to, to come back to earth after something like that. And I can see how it can really, a a slower, more present and more refined approach can actually create a cleaner processing yeah and titrating you know how is it to bring a little bit of this in okay now just come back down to center how is it to bring a bit more in where's the edge of your own comfort zone like where's your edge right now let's work Mm -hmm. there let's not push you beyond that by trying to get everything through at once like let's work in a place where you can stay in your body and not have to leave your body in order for this to happen. And this is, you know, this being in your body, I, I hear a lot of talk about embodiment and particularly about feelings that often feels like it's still coming from the head talking about feelings rather than being in the body, speaking from feelings. And I don't see this, you know, there's not problems or anything wrong with any of this. It's just one way produces a particular result and another way produces a a different result and we get to choose what results we want to create through, you know, education, you know, bringing the mental food into chew on but also bringing it into practice and coming into centre and what does it mean to actually be centred in my physical body and I guess there's questions for me around embodiment that are related to where you know where in their body when they say they're centered or when they say they're in their body and what does it mean to be in my body is it it does it just mean that I'm aware I've got a body or is there another relationship that I could have from deep within my body what's the information quality like when I'm really anchored down in my body almost um, lowering that, that the eyes down to what I I relate to the centre as a place below the navel, the hara power centre, centre of gravity, it's called in different modes of work. But mm. this like this place of readiness, I liken it to martial arts, like the, the starting stance of many martial arts practices is, you know, the knees are bent. There's a sense of relaxed readiness. And if we can be in our body in a sense of relaxed readiness, access to what I would say infinite more resources than what we can be if we're just having the control centre up here in our mind. Yeah, certainly the the Qigong practice that I've been doing has really brought me, like the, the presencing exercises, you're, you're expanding out your presence as far out into the world as you can do it. And then bringing it all the way back in to the body. 
and in different parts of the body and noticing what's present, I can really directly see when something's uncomfortable, I've left my body and I'm lost in a train of thought. Hmm. I'm like not feeling my body and I'm thinking suddenly. And then I'll come back to the present and recognize that there was a discomfort that kind of pushed me out of feeling my body. And the choice to stay in the body is a journey. It's like feeling all sorts of things that I haven't felt before. And coming into contact with the present moment and as opposed to escaping the present moment through dreaming, fantasizing, planning, scrutinizing, complaining, judging, rather than just being here with what's actually here, the feeling in the body. And I can see how the the culture that we have around us and, and social media and technology, they actually don't train us to be very present. They train us to be very um, disembodied in the presence on the phone or on the screen. Mm. And the more and more I bring my presence into my body and be with my body, the faster my intuition and my awareness and my growth become Mm. because I'm not taking breaks from reality and just tuning out, out of presence. Um, You know, you can be in a holding pattern of disembodiment for years and years and just kind of keep looping and looping and looping. Yeah. Um, But, but when we're really, yeah, the, the, the practice of, of just learning how to be in your body and feel and not jump out has been profoundly um, beneficial for me. Mm. And at the same time, very destabilizing. Yeah. Because when you're not feeling, you can just keep doing what you were doing and just keep go- going on, going on, on the train tracks, no major life changes. But when you waken up that emotional body and you're like, oh, I actually don't like some of my friends and my, I, I hate my work and like, um, like I'm, I'm pissed off at my dad and like all this shit starts to come in. It's like, Oh, I, I've, I'm going to make some changes in my life. How deep down this rabbit hole of presence do I really want to go? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was saying to a friend recently that I have been, noticing that you know a lot of clients that I'm working with at the moment are talking about frustrations at work or frustrations in relationships in the context of raising children with one partner in a house in the suburbs and sort of self-judgment around oh I'm not functioning okay in these spaces so there must be something wrong with me and I I really want to learn to feel more and I'm not sure how to do that in this context and there's a sadness that I feel when I hear those stories because I can see these people really genuinely wanting to learn to feel and dropping into their bodies more. But at the same time, you know, as you just said, realizing what that means in the context that they've created for themselves up until that point that, oh, <clears throat> this workplace doesn't actually hold values that are aligned enough with me. And my, my fear is informing me that this is not a great environment to be in and do I want to then listen to that because that means taking some risky actions and stepping into the unknown and needing to navigate more with fear to become more intimate with fear and learning how to use that. And, you know, I think that's part of the, the, 
the lubrication for this shift, you know, into a different space, like shifting from the the current modern world, new this culture map, and sliding through the membrane to a new map, a new way of living, creating new cultures. And do I need to grow a creative village or a community because raising this child with one person seems insane? Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's that's what's needed, and maybe it's that there's nothing wrong with you except that you're um, not accept. It's just that you're learning to feel and be more human. And to, it's like turning on all these little on switches that have been turned off for such a long time inside. And oh wow, there's I can feel this and I can sense this and oh I didn't know about this part of me that loves this environment or this person or this nature or these values because I wasn't feeling anything before and that I think these these bodies these vessels that we're born into are capable of so much more than what we've been taught I mean I just this head part of my body got taught at school but the rest of it didn't really get taught Mm. much at school except how to push down all the stuff that didn't feel okay in the headspace realm of my education and Mm, yeah mm. it's it's a it's a big commitment to learn to feel again yeah it is and i think it's worth acknowledging that as we feel more feelings we make new choices and we're brought further and further out of our traditional social norms yeah we individuate we become different because when we don't feel, we tend to just follow the the dominant culture and our our role that we learn in childhood. But then when we feel deeply, we start making new choices. And there can be this question of like, is this going to be better? Like, can I really trust these feelings? Like, do they are they going to lead me in a good direction? I don't know. And am I going to um, be alone out here? I do this yeah yeah because because the personality structure is there to keep you safe so it can feel like you're stepping out of safety by listening to the emotion yeah, yeah. and can I reclaim my own authority by dropping into my body and into my center at a place where I've got access to the wisdom of all my bodies not just the mental one and trust can i trust can i trust myself mm. to, to turn the on turn the switches that have been off on to come into my body to feel and listen to all of that information and the energy and the resources that are available to navigate life from from this place this centered place that means i'm actually in the best position to be connected to everyone and everything around me anyway mm. Which it does feel, even though you, you, we talked about this much earlier, but even though I'm not a huge fan of masculine, feminine, matriarchal, patriarchal kind of language so much, it does feel like a shift from the, the dominant, top-down, patriarchal, external authority approach to dropping into a softer, ah, uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm in the unknown. I've got resources. I can trust that the next thing will come when I need it. 
And there's a bunch of knowledge in my mind that's also useful that I can draw on and weave together with the emotional wisdom and the energy that's flowing through me and the sensations in my physical body and, and step in and take the next step from there. Feels like a powerful note to wrap up on. Yeah. Um, if people want to work with you, hmm. how can they find you and what, how can they work with you? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, the main home to find me in is at theartofrelating.com.au. Um, I'm in the Northern Rivers for the next couple of months. I've got a one-day reframing anger for wellbeing training coming up here in Tiagra on the 3rd of September. I've got an online webinar on the 7th of September that's about the drama triangle, actually, and how these sort of emotional energies fuel that and how we can shift that. And then I'll be down in Melbourne for November doing an Expand the Box training, which is the possibility management work and a full Reclaiming Anger training weekend, which has been, yeah, it's been a long time since I've done that training. So I'm really looking mm. forward to reconnecting with Melbourne Tribe and offering that. That's only four places left for the next year. It's only sold out, which is great. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Stacia. Thank you for the work that you do. Really mm. appreciate you leading the charge when it comes to feeling and emotion um, and the, the nuance and the subtlety that you bring. Um, and look forward to talking to you again. Thank you for showing up on this podcast. Mm.